Welcome to the Mad in America podcast, your source for science, psychiatry, and social justice. Our podcasts are made possible in part by a grant from the Thomas Job Fund. Hello, this is James, and welcome to the podcast. And this week, our family editor, Amy Biancoli, interviews investigative journalist and author Diane Diamond. But before we get to the discussion, I wanted to let you know that in December, we will be sharing a special episode of the podcast where Madden America founder Robert Whittaker will be answering your questions. So if you've ever wanted to know more about Madden America, its mission, or rethinking psychiatry more broadly, now's your chance. Please email questions to askmia at maddenamerica.com. That's A-S-K-M-I-A at maddenamerica.com. And we will pick a selection. Please send us questions by November 10th and be sure to let us know if you're happy to be identified or if you'd prefer to remain anonymous. And now, on to the podcast. Our guest today is Diane Diamond, a longtime award-winning investigative journalist specializing in crime and justice issues. As a freelance journalist, syndicated columnist, and former television correspondent, Her reporting and commentary have been featured in newspapers, magazines, and TV news outlets across the country. She's also the author of several books, including Be Careful Who You Love, Inside the Michael Jackson Case, which she wrote after years of groundbreaking reporting on the topic, and her most recent, We're Here to Help, When Guardianship Goes Wrong, recently published by Brandeis University Press. Diane Diamond, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Amy. I, I appreciate your time. Having read your book, it's there's so many, so many uh, stories, absolute horror stories, and it's like one after another, these stories of, of human anguish. But before we delve deeply into that, if you could, for our listeners who aren't familiar with it, and I think even people who are familiar with guardianship don't really fully comprehended. I think, I think most Americans just don't. Um, what is it? What is guardianship um, in some states called conservatorship? Well, that's really where you have to start because it's such a secretive court system that most of America doesn't know what the heck it is. Guardianship is a legalized system whereby states help their citizens who need help. Uh, Those who need protection uh, because of various maladies, um, uh, disabilities, physical or mental, uh, they're elderly, they have no family to take care of them, and they're having memory issues. So it's, it's a court system that we really need in this country to help the citizens who cannot help themselves. Now, the problem is, Amy... Uh, after eight years of investigating cases and writing about them in my syndicated column and, and magazine long-form articles, I discovered that this system has been infiltrated by predators, financial predators, who have simply, quite simply, bastardized the entire system. It's not there, in many instances, to protect people. It's there ready, willing, and able to victimize people. And that's what caught my attention. And and thank you for saying there's so many stories in this book, because I wanted to show the various ways that guardianship has morphed into this um, industry. Really, it's, it's, in my mind, I like to call it a racket. It's almost like organized crime in some instances. Yeah, and that really comes through in your book. Um you know the 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 abuse, uh, the fact that this is state sanctioned. I mean, li- like literally, and and state run, and it's all behind closed doors. Most people don't know what's going on. Um, there's the level of horror in terms of what people have to go through, and then that horror is is seems even more extreme because it's it's secret. It's done in secret. It's 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 not out in the open. Right, and and it's it's allowed because a judge has decreed that someone is quote incapacitated. So let me just quickly tell you how it all starts. Anyone, and I mean anyone, from your landlord to your next door neighbor to your angry business partner to your former lover, can go to a lawyer and say, "Hey, you know, I I want some of that person's money or property. Or what what can I do? You know, they're they're kind of crazy." 
And the lawyer will inevitably say, oh, guardianship. Oh, this is a panacea, guardianship. This, it might even be a family member, an adult child of an elderly person, for example, who can't get along with their brothers and sisters about what to do with mom or dad. And the, the lawyer will say, well, let's write up a petition, petition of guardianship to the court, and I'll just give it to the judge and he'll rubber stamp it. He or she will rubber stamp it. And that's literally what happens. The judges that hear these cases, Amy, they, they don't have time to vet what's in this petition. And many times what's in these petitions are just downright lies. And so having gotten a petition from an officer of the court, a familiar lawyer face in front of them, the judge says, okay, guardianship, it's now in effect. And once someone is in the guardianship system, even if it's a temporary guardianship, it's almost impossible to get out of guardianship. Right. And that's the other thing that I think um, most people are unaware of. The idealized version of guardianship is to help someone who is, in fact, either uh, temporarily or permanently incapacitated by something, whether it's brain trauma, perhaps it's some type of disability, perhaps it's, it's uh, Alzheimer's. Perhaps they just had a stroke and they're going to recover. Right. And they're going to recover. And, the, uh, and, and usually or frequently, it's a loving um, family member who steps in and, and takes care and is in charge of their finances. But what the book mostly focuses on, and I know you tell, you, you do early on describe some of those loving family members who, who actually um, perform their jobs in a caring and responsible fashion. Um, but the book is looking at the flip side of that, the, 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 the people who aren't caring, the professional guardians primarily, but also some family members who abuse this profound power to sap resources and, and take, essentially take over someone's life and finances. Um, so how many cases did you look at for your book? And I goes, I, I got the impression that there are many more than you described. How, how common is this? You know, Amy, I, I wish I could answer that definitively. Let me throw out some figures for you. Uh, first of all, nobody keeps track of guardianships in the United States. Nobody. There's no entity that says, okay, there are uh, 4,000 in Arizona and there are, are 11,000 in Illinois. Nobody knows. So then how often does uh, an abusive guardianship, a financially devastating guardianship happen? Uh, how? I don't know. Uh, but I'll tell you, over eight years, I collected so many, I could have written a book that was twice as long as this book. I feel guilty that there were many cases I didn't even mention in the book. But here's some stats for you, okay? Every year in this country, state courts hear guardianship cases. The targeted person is declared an incapacitated ward of the court. They are stripped of their civil rights. In most states, a vast majority of states, they can't even hire a lawyer to defend themselves because they're incapacitated. These state courts then confiscate the money, property, investments of all the wards, and put it in the name of the guardian. Every year in this country, state courts confiscate $50 billion worth of estates. So is it any wonder that financial predators have thought, hey, i got to get in on this. This is great, because only three states actually require a guardian to be licensed, California, Alaska, and Nevada. And many of them don't even require them to get any sort of certification. So, you know, it's just a playground for predators. It, it really, that is what it's become. And guardianships last an average of six years, is what the experts say. And so if it's $50 billion every year that the state courts are confiscating, that's a pot of money of $300 billion just sitting there. Now, as you say, there are some great guardians. There are some great conservators and lawyers working in this field. And some of the, the guardianships work out just fine. 
especially if a family member is appointed as the guardian. But more and more I discovered when the, when a case comes before a judge, a judge decides, well, you know, if it's in court, the family must be dysfunctional. So I'm not going to appoint you, uh, Brother Joe, as the guardian. I'm going to appoint a for-profit professional guardian. And Amy, they can charge up to 600 bucks an hour and hire any uh, amount of other helpers to come on to service the ward. So you can see how an estate gets drained pretty quickly. Yes, and as you point out, um, that $600 an hour can be applied to something like answering emails, something really mundane and small. Um, so I would at some point like to hear you describe a case, a specific case. I mean, th th some of them that really popped out to me include the story of Carl, the young man with disabilities, um, and, uh, and there are so many others that just, just broke my heart. But just to emphasize before you get into that, when someone becomes a ward of the state, they essentially lose their right to vote. They lose their right to spend their own money. They lose their right, uh, as, as many Many of us learned from the, the, the free Britney movement and, and the, her whole guardianship struggle, uh, lose the right to get married, lose the right to make all these basic human decisions because they all have to be made by the guardian or the conservator. Someone whose award is stripped of their civil rights, their basic human rights. And, and, and again, there's just so many stories and, and I, you know, I have a big list of the different ones that popped out at me, but is there one that to, to you kind of typifies what happens or illustrates it in a way that people will, will, will just hear and connect with? You're asking me to, to choose my children here, you know, a selfie's choice. I, you know, I realize, but <laughs> if there's an example, like, as I said, I mentioned, I mentioned Carl, the story of this, uh, young man with developmental disabilities who um, wound up being essentially informally adopted by a really loving family. And he wound up with this outside guardian who just treated him, it was just a, a, an unbelievable nightmare. And here he had this entire loving family advocating for him. But as you described, you know, whoever is trying to become uh, somebody's guardian for the right reasons, they wind up being vilified by the court, and so the, the judge assigns somebody else. That's basically what happens frequently, right? Right, right. Carl Brody was a great example because guardianship, people think, oh, that's, that's for old people with Alzheimer's, and, and it is. But the target base, I discovered, isn't just elderly people anymore. It's young people like Colin Brody. Carl Brody was born to an addicted mother who um, neglected him. At the very least, she neglected him. And the school bus driver, a, a wonderful woman, sort of adopted him. Um, he was profoundly uh, disabled, both physically and intellectually. And she and her husband took in Carl. They just loved Carl. And Carl came to live with them. His mom didn't really care that that happened. But they loved him so much. The whole f big family did. But somewhere along the line, they thought, well, we should get this legalized. And they went to court to become his guardians. And the judge said, no. Mm -mm. I mean, I'm, I'm making this long story pretty short. And he assigned an outside guardian. That guardian, stranger, complete stranger, had no idea what the, the loving couple was about or Carl's needs, wants, or loves took him out of that home and put him in a group home. And to make a long story short, that group home was run by a couple of criminals. And I can say that because they are in prison. They uh, made a slave out of Carl. They would take him home to their house, uh, make him sleep in a damp basement, do the chores around. And then they brought another person home from the group home, another disabled man, and had them fight in the basement for their own amusement. In the end, Carl was killed. He was murdered, frankly. They stuffed him into a can of cement and put him in a um, storage locker, only to be found months and months and months later. Nobody really knows the date of death of Carl Brody. 
Um, so that's one case. There, there's another case uh, in Staten Island, New York. Young man, damaged at birth. He uh, was deprived of oxygen, and he developed a mild case of cerebral palsy. So he walked a little different, and he spoke a little differently. And his parents won about $2 million in a malpractice suit from the hospital. As an infant, the court named a guardian for him. Yeah, it's the Shirley Temple law uh, that you, know, you don't want the parents to spend all, all the money. So the money's protected till he's 18 years old. His name is Michael Ligori. At 18, Michael now wants his money. I, he's graduated from high school with good grades. He wants to go to college. He has a problem with his hand and he wants to get surgery. The guardian says, no, 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 no. Goes to the judge, goes back to the judge and says, your honor, well, look at him. He's intellectually disabled. He's, look at it, he can't even walk right. And the judge allowed that guardianship to go on for six more years. Six more years of the guardian and the people the guardian hired taking chunks of Michael Bagori's money. Michael called me last Christmas and said, Diane, it's over. It's, I'm, I'm finally free. I said, what happened? He said, I, I, I didn't want to. They hung on for a long time. But the guardian was insisting that I pay him $58,000 more. So I went ahead and paid him, and now I'm free. I spoke to him about a week ago, and I said, Michael, do you know how much money is left? And he said, no, I, I really don't, because the guardian who was supposed to file this annual audit, saying where has all of Michael's money gone, he never filed it. He never filed an audit with the court, which is mandated by law. So what happened to that guardian? Nothing. This is the problem, Amy. You know, you I find these um, unscrupulous guardians all over the place, and when they get caught, mostly they get a slap on the wrist. Some of them now are actually being convicted, which is heartening, but um, it just breaks your heart. All of these stories, I can go on and on. I know you could go on and on because that's... that's <laughs> There's so many stories like that in the book, and each time I read one, I'm like, well, why... Why didn't law enforcement do something about this? Like such a, a total lack of action, and uh, uh, so many of these behaviors. Okay, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a you know a, a, a scholar when it comes to these things. But good lord, that's it, just it's criminal I, I, on a human level. It's just so deeply wrong, and I it's appalling that there are so few cases where. Someone like Michael has some kind of a happy ending, even though he had to pay for it. That's that's astonishing. But to him, it's a victory. To him, it's a victory because it's over. Now he finally can make his own decisions. I, like you say, a ward cannot vote. They can't decide where they live. They can't write a check. They can't have a baby. They can't get married. They can't write a contract. Uh, people on death row have more rights than a ward of the court. Uh, it, it, it's stunning to me how powerful guardians are. If you go to court and you think you're going to be the guardian of your elderly mother and the court appoints a, an outside professional guardian and you don't like what that guardian's doing to your parent and you complain to the court, that guardian can ban you from seeing your loved one, like permanently ban you. They can have... But they can go back to court and they can say, Your Honor, all of the liquid money is gone. I've gone through the checking account money and the savings account money. So now I need to sell the ward's house and everything in it so that I have enough money to take care of them for the rest of their life. And judges, no matter that there is a last will and testament, a power of attorney, an estate plan, a trust, an irrevocable trust in effect, the judge, judges nationwide nullify those legal documents and say, okay, go ahead, sell the house. Now, that house maybe was bequeathed to the adult daughter or the adult son or the heirlooms inside or with a lot of money. And suddenly they sort of disappear in the sale and nobody knows where those things went. This is how powerful guardians are. And I, I'm going to tell you honestly, Amy. Some of them, they're, they're financial predators, but some of them are also just control freaks. 
They just get off on the control of it. I'll give you a quick example. In Las Vegas, Nevada, there was a, uh, a guardian named April Parks, and she was convicted. She, she's doing 16 to 40 years in prison for stealing from her wards in Nevada. After she went to prison, her storage locker came up for auction. And there are people who buy these storage lockers. And, and the man opened the door, the man who bought it, opened the door thinking, hey, what kind of treasure will I find here? And what he found instead were the cremains, the cemetery urns of 27 of April Parks's wards. But in some instances, she hadn't even told the family that the person had died. She made no attempt to get the cremains in a respectful manner to the family. She just shoved them in a storage locker to close the door. So, you know, why? Why did she do that? Because she could. Nobody stopped her. The judge inter intervened. And, and so I keep asking myself, as I recall all these stories, what was the judge in all this? Why doesn't the judge listen to the family? Well, because in the very beginning, the family was declared to be dysfunctional or greedy. They're after the inheritance before the person even dies. And so in the eyes of these judge, judges, the families are tainted from the beginning. They're, they're, there's no way they can redeem themselves. And in these courts, these are called equity courts. This isn't like a criminal court or a civil court. In equity courts, there's no due process guaranteed. There are hearings, but there's no trial. And at the hearings, the judge will mostly just listen to the guardian's medical person who says, oh, yeah, yeah, the person's incapacitated. They'll listen to the court visitor, who the same one who always works with the guardian. Oh, yes, yes, I went to the home and it was a mess and this person needs protection. It's the same testimony in all these cases and all these people work together to enslave people, frankly. You know, there, there are processes that are far less restrictive than strict guardianship that judges could um, consider, but they don't because it's just easier to say, oh, petition for guardianship, okay, guardianship's on. Here at Mad in America, the readers and listeners are accustomed to hearing stories of people who aren't heard for whatever reason, because they've been slapped with a label. Um, and you do actually, you do give some examples in your book, for instance, a young woman uh, in Virginia, I think, who is, she'd been diagnosed with depression, borderline ADHD, um, and she was guardianized she was making an argument for freedom from guardianship because she enrolled in college. She has a decent GPA. She's obviously functioning, but because she's been labeled, she has been deemed by somebody in the courts as incapacitated. However, they might define it. Uh, she stuck. She was stuck with that. And that, that is not, that's not a surprising story um, to anybody who, 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 who listens or reads here at Madden America, because that's so common. Once we label someone as somehow mm, problematic, diagnosed, whatever it is, uh, then we stop listening to them and we stop taking them seriously and we start stripping their human rights. Now think about what you just said. Is that the society we want to be? Is, is, is that what we do to people who uh, have temporary issues, mental or physical issues? We, we take them and we warehouse them away somewhere with a, a minder that can keep them away from everyone else. And oftentimes, I discovered, over-medicate them to, to ensure compliance. You know, is that, is that the country we want to be? Let me quickly tell you about a, a woman uh, down south who, 38 years old, a uh, single woman, successful, bought herself a condo, she had a car, she had money. You see, guardianship abuse happens with people with money. Uh, keep that in mind. While she was in a coma, she was guardianized. And when she woke up, she found herself in a group home where she recovered. But she's in guardianship. She's, quote, labeled, as you say, incapacitated. And she couldn't convince the judge, hey, I'm okay now. That group home owner put her to work. She became the housekeeper 
the grocery shopper, the computer. She was on the computer keeping the dosage of medications going to all the other residents. She really became enslaved. It took her years to get out of that guardianship because the judge just wouldn't hear her. Couldn't hear, couldn't imagine that somebody could get better from a traumatic brain injury. You know, give me a break. What century are we living in? And yet, here she was doing all this work. I'm reminded of the story of, 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 of Britney Spears, who was locked into this guardianship while she was raking in millions. So how incapacitated was she? And of course, in her case, um, oh, such a long story of her own. But in, in her case, she uh, had, she was, I think she was, she was stuck in guardianship for 14 years before she finally got free of it. And for a lot of people, that was the aha moment um, when they, they understood or saw, at least for the first time, an example of the problems with guardianship. And you, you do talk about her quite a bit at, at the beginning as an embodiment in pop culture of what's wrong with it. And, you know, I, I went back and really did some investigative work on that. And I... I truly believe that her guardianship, conservatorship, they call it in California, was established illegally. The judge in the case, well, you'll read the story in the book. And I think the judge in the case pulled some strings and uh, appointed her favorite guardian, Sam Ingram, to be Brittany's guardian, co-guardian with her father. And Sam Ingram made $10,000 a week for almost 14 years off Britney Spears. While she's dancing and singing in Las Vegas and being a judge on the TV talent show and, as you say, raking in millions of dollars. And there's a California law I discovered that anyone who is a ward of the court who makes money should be given that money. But she never got it. I mean, she had a little allowance, but uh, yeah, that whole case really woke up America, I think. But still, because it's such a secretive system, the courtroom doors are closed. The case files are often sealed. There's frequent gag orders issued. It's all under the guise of HIPAA protection. Now, there's this federal law that protects people's medical uh, information. And so that's a really convenient cloak used to keep everything secret, to keep the rest of us really in the dark. That's why I wrote this book, because I got those case files and I talk to people who didn't care about the gag order. They just wanted to tell their story so badly. And it was a lot of work, but um, it was a real um, a passion project for me. It took you how many years? And I know, obviously, um, you've been, worked as a reporter in different capacities over those same years, but how, how, long, how long did you spend? How many years did you spend researching this book? Well, since uh, 2015, so about eight years. Yeah, I first heard of a case in my home state um, uh, where I grew up, uh, New Mexico, uh, but I couldn't report on it because I couldn't get the court documents. And I couldn't, it was one of my dear friend's father who had been guardianized. And I just had to tell her, I'm sorry, I, I believe what you're saying, but I can't confirm it. As a journalist, I have to have documents or other people confirming what you're saying. And I couldn't crack it. And then a few months later, coincidentally, a private investigator I work with told me about a case in Pennsylvania. So New Mexico, Pennsylvania, both elderly people, both held under guardianships that they did not want, that, that siphoned off their million-dollar, multi-million-dollar estates. And so I began to write about the case in Pennsylvania, a woman named Betty Wynn Stanley, just a fascinating woman. She was so interesting to talk to, and I, I actually went to a court hearing with her. And when it was discovered I was there, I got tossed out of the courtroom. But I wrote about her in my syndicated column. And once I began to write about the exorbitant amount of money her guardian was charging, because I had the spreadsheet that the guardian had sent to the court. I don't ask me how I got that, but I got that. Um, I started to write about Betty Wynn Stanley's case. And Amy, I cannot tell you how many Dozens and dozens of people contacted me from states across the country saying, me too, please tell my mother's story, my brother's story, my sister's story, my dad's story. And I realized this is a nationwide problem. 
Nobody's writing about this. Nobody's talking about it. I did find a few little news articles here and there about individual cases, but nobody had taken a nationwide look. But I'll tell you, I found that there are uh, some 2 million people in guardianship right now. Now, you know, we heard about Britney Spears, but there are 2 million others living under guardianship now. Some of them, the situations might be just right. Again, it's a family member who knows what the ward wants out of life and what their goals were. If they're the guardian, that's great. But that's not what this book is about. This book is about all the ones that ran off the rails and enriched predators working within this system. Yeah, and enriched is the word too, because one of one of the stories you tell concerns Marion Kornicki, uh, whose story is familiar to people who read Men in America. And in fact, in your book, you refer to her piece from January of last year, um, Guardianship Destroyed My Family. And she describes this nightmare situation and um, at one point, she uses uh, an analogy, a metaphor that that, uh, that I think someone else used as well, which is she said, basically, guardianship um, was used to turn quote turn us into human ATM machines. So basically, uh, okay, uh, whoever happens to be guardian or conservator of, of someone in a, with wealth, um, they can basically do whatever they want with that person's money, which is you read it and you go. Good Lord. Well, one other piece of it that I want to ask you about is the way will, uh, wills are completely discounted. So someone might have expressed their desires. They might have said, oh, yes, I would like to uh, live in this little house and be near family. And then I want to leave my money to X, Y, and Z. And they might have that, that might all be documented, but that can be discounted. And and nullified by guardianship judges, yeah. In uh, in, um, Marion's case, her sister, Terry, I think was her name, was stealing money from her parents. I mean, the district attorney came in and charged her sister with a crime. And still, the judge in the case said, well, I'm going to make both you sisters the guardians. Well, why in the world would a judge do that? I'll tell you why, Amy. Because the players in this abusive part of the system love conflict. They love it when a family member fights back because then that means there's more court hearings. The guardian can charge more hourly fees than the guardian conservator, the lawyers involved. All of them have to write reports. That accumulates more fees. And who pays for everything? The ward of the court. So if you fight back, you're depleting your loved one's money, but you're also depleting probably your own inheritance. They're using your potential inheritance against you to fight you. So you see the catch-22? That's why on the cover of this book, there is fingers crossed, as in the double cross. It's such, it's a system that is so stacked against families and wards in many instances. I found people who were not incapacitated at all, like Betty Wynn Stanley uh, up in Pennsylvania, yet they were guardianized. She had a hearing problem, and so that was deemed, well, you know, she can't hear, and so she's incapacitated. Her oldest son guardianized her in Pennsylvania and her $2 million estate because she wanted to move down to Maryland and be with her other two children who, frankly, were the only ones who ever came to visit her. Uh, She told me, actually, on the phone, my older son, he always had problems. He always fought with his siblings. And I think this is just his way of getting back at me, making me stay in Pennsylvania. And so did you think the Pennsylvania judge in that case was going to let a $2 million estate go away to another state? No, he didn't. And she died alone in a place where she didn't want to be during COVID. Throughout your book, you tell, you tell stories like that. And you also talk about the struggles, the plight of the elderly, and some of them are incapacitated or, or struggling with dementia. But at the same time, they should still have human rights. They should still have basic civil rights. They should still be treated as other human beings, right? And for the elderly, Specifically, in your book, you note an older man with Alzheimer's who was found living in his guardian's dirty basement 
wearing a diaper. Uh, the Guardian had stolen more than 640000 I think, uh, from this man. And I know that's, that's an extreme and horrific case, but there are also situations in nursing homes where people are drugged off their heads, where chemical restraint is so common. Um, and you describe also in your book several cases of people who were taken from their homes and forced into facilities uh, when they had family members who wanted to take them in. I mean, should it seems again? It's like I reading this book. It should seem so obvious. We should be we should be treating our elders better. I mean, isn't isn't that supposedly something that we value? But apparently not. Apparently, once somebody is has at the slightest in competency incapacitation incapacitation some kind of disability whether temporary or permanent or they're they're labeled with a psychiatric disorder it's like forget it you don't have any more rights is that is that extreme or is that pretty much the case no you you said it very well my husband's favorite comment about the book and he was one of my proofreaders by the way he said you know every page makes me mad or sad i i can't decide which now, I don't want people to think that this is just a book of, you know, oh, poor me, oh, story after story of terrible things, because I do try to meld in exactly how does the system work? Who are the players you're going to find in it? How do these guardians get into league with so many other people within the system, and they all know what's happening, but nobody will tell on anybody else, because if you tell about the misbehavior going on, then you lose your place at the trough. You know, many guardians are becoming real estate agents now, so that when they go to the court and say, "Your Honor, I'm out of money. I got to, I got to sell this house," they get a commission off selling the house. There's a judge in um, Polk County, Florida, right now who's under the microscope because he has bought up the homes of wards at very low prices, and then he resells them for a, a big profit. And, and this has happened with multiple, multiple homes. So, it, you know, if there are antiques in your house, a guardian knows an antique dealer who's going to come in and buy the lot for a low price, then sell it at a higher price and split it with the guardian. You know, there, it, it, cars, automobiles, collectibles, coin collections, uh, all of a sudden they're just gone and the family can't find them. And the... Guardian says, well, I, I don't know. I don't know what happened, for your honor. I don't know. And so it goes on and on. Can I tell you about one story? There's a woman named Rebecca Farrelly in Florida. By the way, Florida is the worst possible state for abusive guardianships. Please, if you're elderly, you got money, don't retire there. I'm sure their Chamber of Commerce will be mad at me for saying that. But Rebecca Farrelly was a guardian in Florida. She had more than 400 wards spread across several Florida counties. Now, one person cannot possibly service 400 wards. I mean, you just can't. But judges kept giving her more and more and more wards. That meant that immediately she got her name on everybody's property, money, investments, homes. She then proceeded, with no one's knowledge, to put do not resuscitates orders on all of her wards. One particular man who had a little bit of money, not a lot, but he was a real problem for her because he had a swallowing difficulty and often wound up in the hospital having to have a feeding tube. In addition to his DNR, she put a feeding tube cap order. And so the next time he had his swallowing problem and was about to asphyxiate himself, the hospital staff could only stand by and watch Stephen Stryker die because the Guardian had put these orders on his medical chart. She had been beseeched by the doctors, please take that cap, uh, that, that cap DNR off because this guy's going to, no, no, she said it's all about uh, quality of life, not quantity of life. And so St Stephen Stryker died. The state of Florida went back, did a big study, found out all these DNRs, all these wards, all this money she had gotten under the table from hospitals and whatnot. When it came to the court session, she was charged 
I mean, she had been charged with dozens and dozens of crimes in the beginning, but by the time the trial came around, one count of neglect of an elderly person. What was her, this is not in the book because the, the sentence came too late. Four months probation. Four months probation. Yes, and Rebecca Farrelly has now registered herself as a life coach in the state of Florida. So it would be my recommendation if you need a life coach, you might not want to choose Rebecca Farrelly. Wow. So um, what other recommendations do you have for people? What other, what other, what other advice do you have to people listening and to their families for, in terms of avoiding a guardianship themselves or for the family members? What, what do you, what would you say to people? I, I've got a whole section in the book about that, Amy. And I'll just be brief. For, first of all, if your family cannot come to an agreement about what to do with your vulnerable loved one, please don't go to a lawyer first. Uh, again, I'm sure the legal community doesn't want me to say that, but go to family mediation first. First of all, it's going to cost you a lot less, and it's very effective. It really is very effective when a mediator looks at all the adult children and says, listen, this is what's going to happen if you start to fight amongst yourselves. And they will explain what happens in guardianship, and they will explain that the person you hurt the most is your vulnerable loved one you're trying to protect. So go to mediation. Try to, um, if, if you're caught up in guardianship, try to, from the very beginning, if you can, because oftentimes these petitions just get approved without any family being in the courtroom or even the ward being in the courtroom. If you can, engage a lawyer to suggest to the judge that they try something called supported decision-making. This is a, a volunteer program where family, friends, even staff of the court in some states will go in and just assist the person. They, they need help with their checkbook, or they need help with transportation, or they need help taking their medication every day. Instead of this civil rights restriction, very strict guardianship, Let's, think, let's talk about supported decision-making, Your Honor. I mean, it is an option, but in most states, judges don't even consider it, even if, when it's state law. There's state laws in many that says the judge may consider supported decision-making. Well, that means they don't have to, and they don't. Um, another thing is if you have children that are squabbling amongst themselves and you have money and you want to make sure you don't get put into guardianship, everybody's got a cell phone now, right? Set it up on your dining room table and speak into it what your desires are. Do you want a guardianship? And who would you want to be the guardian? Do you want to stay in your home with healthcare aides coming in uh, and, and your money to be used for that instead of guardianship? Put it on videotape, because that's a powerful piece of evidence to show to a judge. Um, and may I recommend that at the very end of that, or if you can, have a big family meeting while you videotape yourself. Tell your, tell your loved ones, if they start fighting over this, and anyone tries to put you in guardianship, they are automatically disinherited. They don't get any inheritance at all. Funny how that stops people from going after guardianship. A motivator. So what needs to change? Um, and I know that's another massive question, and you spend a lot of time answering that in the book. Um, but, you know, and, I, and, and again, I, I know you, you don't have time to go into all of it now, but should guardianship be federally run? Do we need a national database to keep track of all of it? Um, should there be a national registry of guardians, a certification system nationally? And, and you mentioned you mentioned supported decision making as a good approach, but what what needs to happen? Yes, 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 and yes to everything you just said. Um, I think guardians should be licensed by the state, and then if you do something wrong, you lose your license. You can't practice in that arena anymore. Um, I think all states need to have certification levels for guardians, but here's something we haven't talked about and I think really needs to happen. When a guardian is found 
doing something wrong, like we have talked about here, and I talk about it at nauseum in the book, they need to be punished. Because if a guardian can keep getting away with it, as Rebecca Farrelly did, for example, as April Parks in Nevada did, as a woman named Susan Harris in New Mexico stole $11 million from her wards, she's doing 47 years in prison, by the way, they need to be punished because that sends a signal to other bad actors, hey, you better be careful. You better not do what you're planning on doing. Uh, in addition, you know, when guardians tell loved ones, I'm sorry, you upset the ward, you, you can't visit anymore. And you go to the local police department and you say, hey, I can't get in to see my elderly mother anymore or my disabled brother. The guardian won't let me. You know what the law enforcement says? They say, sorry, there's a judge's rule that there's a civil order. We, we only deal in criminal matters. You go to the district attorney. You go to the attorney general's office. They all hands off. A judge has ruled. They don't want to go up against a sitting judge's order. And so I think law enforcement needs to start paying attention to the fact that no matter if there's a civil order in effect, if someone is being held against their will, that's kidnapping. If someone's money is disappearing, that's either extortion or fraud or embezzlement, or there's all sorts of laws that law enforcement should be looking into, and they just don't. So I think that needs to change as well. Um, and basically, we all need to start educating ourselves on guardianship, because even if you have a small military pension coming in every month, or you are disabled, totally disabled, you get $10,000 a month to care for you. Well, a guardian can step in and put you in a group home, an unsavory group home, that costs $3,000 a month. Well, what happens to the rest of that ten grand? So we all need to read my book, frankly, or otherwise get yourself educated. On my website, dianediamond.com, there's a whole section called Guardianship Central. Um, there's lots of resources there. There's a, a FAQ, Frequently Asked Questions section, uh, and there's a glossary. Because when you get embroiled in this system, Amy, there are all these names and phrases and positions of people within the system that come at you that it's like, whoa, what does all this mean? I answer those questions for you on the website. One more thing. I'd like to just go back to this, what should be foundational, which is civil rights, protections of people, especially those most at risk. Um, and the WHO has identified forced treatment as a, a, as a basic human right issue um, and relevant to psychiatry and again the readers of of Madden America and why <laughs> isn't it more obvious why isn't it foundational that we should be advocating for the rights of of people who most need that advocacy it should be foundational that people should have civil rights but so frequently their civil rights are stripped from them so why does this happen? Is this is this kind of the classic case of money is the root of all evil, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts absolutely? Is this kind of that in a nutshell? Yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> you got you got it right on the head. And there there's there's a lot of advocacy groups uh, trying to reform guardianship right now. One of the major ones is SEER, C E A R, uh, which you can find on Facebook. It's run by Terry and Rick Black warriors in the fight. Uh, they've counseled more than 5,000 families about this. Um, and and uh, Tom Coleman at the Spectrum Institute uh, fights for the rights, civil rights of disabled people. And again, what kind of country are we that we take the supposed or actual most vulnerable people and hold them incommunicado, strip them of their rights, put them in places where they don't want to be, give them no voice of their own. I just don't understand it except to say nothing changes because of the lobbyists, the lawyers, the guardians, the guardian ad litems, the nursing homes, the hospital uh, lobbyists. You know, when they have an elderly patient or a disabled patient in the hospital and their insurance is running out, 
They call their favorite guardian and say, hey, I got another one for you. So the lobbyists and all these groups are at the state houses, knocking on the doors, mostly at the Judiciary Committee, where new laws come from, and saying, hey, don't listen to those families. They're dysfunctional. They can't, they're greedy. They don't know what they're talking about. We're here to help. We're helping these people. And again, many guardianships work well. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the $50 billion every year that's up for grabs that bad actors with dollar signs in their eyes zoom in on and, and the fictitious guardianships they create. How about this one? There was a mechanic in Texas who was not getting paid by a wealthy man to work on his classic cars. The elderly man was having some memory issues. So he went to a lawyer in Texas and he said, what, what can I do to get this guy to pay me? And the lawyer said, oh, mind you guardianize him. And it worked. Suddenly this mechanic, car mechanic in Texas, was in charge of this multimillionaire's entire estate. He got his $30,000, $40,000 he was owed, but he was in charge of the man's entire wealth. It took that family a, a couple of years and a lot of money to get that man out of that guardianship. But anyway, why do we do it? Because nobody stops it. The United States Congress has been having heartbreaking hearings on this since the 1980s. And what comes of it? Nothing. They say it's a state's issue. We can't do anything. Well, I call BS on that, Amy, because the Department of Justice goes into police departments, states, police departments, when they think there have been civil rights violations, and they put those departments under watch, and they give them rules and regulations that they have to follow to keep civil rights safe. Well, why can't they do that with guardianship? The answer is they can if they wanted to, but they don't. Well, this has been an extraordinary conversation full of really sobering truths. Our guest today was investigative journalist Diane Diamond, author of the new book, We're Here to Help, when guardianship goes wrong. For more on her work, see dianediamond.com. And I should note, Diamond is spelled D-I-M-O-N-D with no A. Diane, thank you so much for agreeing to speak with us. This has just been, as I said, an extraordinary conversation. Amy, thanks so much for being interested in this topic. Because when I bring it up to some people, they say, oh, I don't know, that sounds boring. But it isn't when you really delve into it. It's the opposite of boring, and it's so compelling, and it's absolutely imperative that word gets out there that this is going on. So again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Madden America podcast. For more news, views, and updates, visit maddenamerica.com.